Yes, Ann Springston is cooler than you are. <laughs> Children's choir, you may be dismissed this morning. I heard from a little bird that you will be working on Christmas music. So that's very exciting. And while the children are being dismissed, if you would please check your cell phones this morning one more time. That would be great. Yeah, I like that sound. That was the my cell phone was going off sound. Right, right. That would have hit right in the middle of the altar call, I'm sure. You know how that goes. How many cell phones go off during the announcements? They always go off right at the right at the that moment in the sermon where the pastor's trying to bring it home. So wanted you to check that. Let's just pray and ask that the Lord would have his way among us for these next few moments. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Your presence is here this morning. We praise you, Lord, because your presence gives us life and hope and purpose, meaning, and of course, Lord, salvation. Lord, we ask today that you would speak through your word that you would speak to our hearts, and that, Lord, we'd be changed when we leave this place. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You can turn this morning to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. How many of you know that movie quote? The rest of you are sadly uncultured. That is from one of the most famous movies of my generation, if you will, which is The Princess Bride. For those of you who don't know, that is Mandy Patinkin's character. He lost his father when he was but a child. His father was murdered by the evil six-fingered man. He spent his life training in combat and seeking out this six-fingered man who he planned on greeting one day with that famous movie quote, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father. Prepare to die. Well, as most of you know, Inigo catches up with the six-fingered man and exacts his revenge before the end of the movie. But minutes before the closing of the movie, after Inigo has exacted his revenge on the six-fingered man, six man, Wesley and Inigo, the two protagonists of the movie, are standing in a window... They're ready to jump down out of the window onto some horses that Andre the Giant has procured for them. I don't know how Andre's horse was not smashed. And they're going to ride off to safety. And Inigo looks at Wesley and he says, you know, it's very strange. I've been in the revenge business for so long, I have no idea what to do with the rest of my life. You see, he'd spent years pursuing one thing, and in a moment, it was over. And he had the freedom to make the choice what he'd do now. Inigo was a free man. His life's pursuit was over, and a new life's pursuit was about to begin. For most of us in this room, there was a moment when our first life's pursuit ended. There was a moment in our lives when everything that we were living for was called into question, and we were given the freedom to pursue a new life. We had a decision to make where before there was no decision to be made. The moment that we accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, the free gift of having our sins and our guilt before God wiped away, in that moment we were made free from our past life, and we were given a new one. 
Everything that we had pursued, everything that we had been about, everything that had, had been on the front burner on our lives was now extinguished. It was terminated. And we were given a choice. What do I do with the rest of my life? Because before the grace of Jesus Christ, whether you know this or not, this is true. Before the grace of Jesus Christ entered your life, you were a slave to a meaningless life. And you were a slave to pursuing your own pleasure. And that was it. Meaningless pleasure. Just trying to get by. Selfishness and sin. But after the grace of Jesus... After the grace of Jesus, what? What's on the other side of grace? You know, it's very strange. We had been in the sin and selfishness business for so long. We have no idea what to do with the rest of our lives. What's been on the other side of grace for you? What have you chosen since your old way of life was terminated? And what does God say is on the other side of his grace? I believe Galatians has the answer. Chapter 5, verse 13 and following. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, we're going to stop right there, and we'll be going back into that passage in just a minute. But there is a, an overall treatise, if you will, that's going on in the book of Galatians. And it also goes on in the book of Romans, which we're going to reference a little bit later today. And it is this treatise that we have been saved by the grace of God. It's a free gift, all right? It is God's gift that, that, that says all your sin, all your selfishness, all your vice, everything that you were about in your previous life has been wiped away. The slate has been made clean by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So... Paul, in the book of Galatians, has been moving through these concepts with the Galatians, but the Galatians had a specific problem, and the specific problem was this. On the other side of grace, they were pursuing the same thing that they were pursuing before they got to grace. Does that make sense? In essence, they had slayed or slain the six-fingered man and then decided to go slay him again. Their, their entire life's pursuit, God had said, it's over. You are free. And they said, we'd rather not be free. We'd rather go back and try to do this all over again. What's the sense in that? So the question is, when Paul says, you have been called to freedom, brothers and sisters, ostensibly, as we read the rest of the book, by the grace of God, you've been called to freedom. What are they really free from? Well, what they are free from is the law. Now, most of us have something that conjures in our mind if we've been in church long enough when we say the law. We're thinking the Mosaic law. Right? The law that was given Sinai, the law that we see in the books of Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, these laws that were given to the Jews, we are free from those. But, but what I'm trying to say to you this morning is not necessarily that we are just free from being Jewish, if you will, and following the Jewish law. Many of you have probably read the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. 
We all have the law of God written on our hearts. We all have right and wrong written on our hearts from the time that we are a very small child. We know when we have done wrong, and as we get older and older, we know what wrong is, and all of us have transgressed that law. So whether we're Jewish or not, there is a law that God has placed into eternity that is His law, that is His truth, that is right behavior by His standards, that each one of us has transgressed, broken, beat up, stomped on, forgotten about, tried to forget about, and totally dismantled. Okay? What does Paul mean when he says you're free from the law? He says you're, what he's really meaning is you are free from the condemnation that comes from the fact that you are a sinner. All right? So whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, whether you're, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, it does not matter. We all have the law of God and all of us have transgressed it. So when Paul says that you're free from the law, what he's saying is this. God has set his statutes up from, the, from eternity. They are his. Guess what? All of you are condemned under them. You're all condemned under them. Whether or not you're a practicing Jew or a Gentile or, or don't practice anything, you are condemned under the law. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, the law has been lifted off you. All right? By the grace of Jesus Christ, the law has been lifted off you. The condemnation that comes through the law is gone because by the grace of Jesus Christ, you have been declared righteous. Why would we need that? Well, because our sin and selfishness wins out without Jesus. All of us. All of us are sinners. All of us are selfish. All of us look to our own ends first, which is not the way God operates. God looks to bless. God looks to give. God looks to love. And therefore, the moral code that God has instilled in the human heart and also through the Bible and his law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the words of Jesus and throughout the entire word of God, all of these laws are in line with his merciful, loving, gracious nature, which is not what we are as humans. We're not merciful. We're not gracious. We're not loving, at least not naturally. Therefore, we are condemned under the law. What's the problem here? Well, the problem here is this. If we are condemned under the law, there's only one situation that can happen. As we talked about last week, the wrath of God. Meaning that God will come and judge us for what we have done. God will come and say, you did not live according to my law. You transgressed my law. You stomped on my law. You tried to destroy my law. Now my wrath comes. Condemnation to hell was our destination. In fact, that's the entire treatise of the book of Romans that's talking about the grace of God and who God is and what God's trying to do among us through Jesus Christ. Right after that, that portion of Scripture that we all know that so well the righteous shall live by faith, do you know that, that portion of Scripture? Right after that, in Romans 1.18, Paul writes, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and all wickedness. That, that, that's the launching point. We're talking about the grace of God in the book of Romans. The fact that we were all in deep trouble. And Christ, being who he was, merciful, gracious, loving, even unto death, got us out of trouble. That's why it's important that we're free from the law. Are you catching it? It's important that we're free from the law because if we remain under the law, we're all going to hell. We are all facing the wrath of God. But praise Jesus... We are not under the law any longer. We are under grace, and we are under the law of the Spirit, which we'll unpack in just a few minutes. 
Wrath is a terrible concept. Do you know that was also the concept for Jesus' ministry? That the wrath of God was going to be poured out unless Jesus came? What did John the Baptist say to the Pharisees when they came to him? Do you remember? You brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the coming wrath? The context of John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' coming was that unless Jesus came, we were going to hell. The wrath of God was going to be poured out. Very interesting little biblical fact. Use this next time you're playing Bible trivia around the fire or something. That same verse, you brood of vipers, that kind of thing. Matthew 3, 7, Luke 3, 7. One of the few places in Scripture where the actual Scripture, if you will, lines up with the number. Don't ask me how it happened, but apparently 3, 7 has something to do with brood of vipers. You numerologists can figure that out later. What is wrath? Wrath is just the righteous anger of God that results in judgment. But here's the beautiful thing about the wrath of God and Jesus. And instead of trying to explain it myself, let me, do the script, let me let the Scripture do the job. And if you want to turn just probably two or three pages in your Bible, uh, turn to the right. We're going to go to Ephesians just for a second because we're going to stay in Galatians. We're going to go to Ephesians just for a second. Ephesians 2, 3 through 5 says this. All of us once lived among them. These are the people who are still stuck in the sin and selfishness cycle. All of us once lived among them and were by nature children of wrath. That means we were naturally predisposed to the wrath of God, the righteous anger that would result in judgment. But like everyone else, God, who is rich in mercy, out of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace, you have been saved. All right? I think that pretty much encapsulates what we've been talking about. That we were destined for wrath, and Christ, by his grace, saved us. Even when we were in the midst of thumbing our nose at God. What makes us children of wrath? Our very sin and selfish nature. But when we receive the grace of God, we are freed from the slavery to that nature. And that's where this all comes together. Not just that we're free from the wrath of God. Not just that we're free from the guilt and the shame that we come under because of the law. We're not just free from that, but we're also being freed from the nature that would make us purely sinful and purely selfish. You're being freed not only on a cosmic, eternal level, you are being made free right now from your nature as a child of wrath to something completely different. A child of God, free to love, free to give, free to be the type of person that God designed you to be. You are no longer stuck in a lifestyle that says, I'm just going to do things my own way, for my own purpose, for my own good. You are made free now to pursue what God has designed you to do. That's the freedom you're coming into when you receive the grace of Jesus. So put all together these concepts of freedom, law, selfishness, wrath, condemnation, grace, mercy, love, freedom, taken together. For a Christian means we're free and a new life has begun. We're free and a new life has begun. So in the same way as the Galatians, I ask you today, why in the world would we ever want to go back into the law when we've been made free from it? You say, what do you mean by that, go back into the law? I'll explain that in just a moment. So keep that on the back burner of your mind. But let's go back to our main question that we ask in the open. If our old life was marked by slavery to sin and selfishness that led us to be the objects of the wrath of God, what is it that we should pursue 
on this side of grace. We know what that life was about. It was about doing things for me and doing things my way, thumbing my nose at God, caring about what I want, what I need, what I want to see. What is it on this side of grace that my life is to be about? And this is where you get a myriad of really good answers. When we accept the grace of Jesus Christ, what do we do now? What do we do now, church? Discipleship, right? That's a good answer. I, am not, I, am, I, I want you to hear, I'm going to give you a number of things, and I'm not saying what I end up with finally is over and above what I'm about to say. Do you hear me? Okay? What I'm just saying, we say discipleship. We get in some classes, we start reading the Word, we start learning about this new Christian life, we start learning about what it means to act like Jesus, and we start to do those things. We've got to get discipled. That's what people would say is on the other side of grace. Other people would say, on the other side of grace is holiness. Or that big Christian term, sanctification. Right? That our life's pursuit becomes about less and less sin and more and more good stuff. Less and less bad, more and more good. We need to pursue holiness. That's on the other side of grace. Other people would say on the other side of grace is spirituality. Less and less of operating in my natural inclinations, more and more thinking about the things of God, praying about the things of God, uh, experiencing new things in the Spirit of God, experiencing the Spirit of God working in my life. That's what I do on the other side of grace. Guess what? All of those are correct answers. All of those are correct answers. But there is one question in the Church of Jesus Christ that we, or I'm sorry, not question, there is one answer to this question that we ignore in the Church of Jesus Christ and we feel like we're allowed to. We say as long as we're pursuing discipleship, learning to do the things that Jesus did, as long as we're pursuing holiness, as long as we're pursuing spirituality, as long as we're doing those things, we can ignore one thing that's on the other side of grace. And I just don't get it. It says that we were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, not to use our freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, verse 13 of Galatians 5, but through love become slaves to one another. So when we were made free, the moment grace entered our lives, the moment we were no longer condemned, Paul says what? Don't use your freedom to go back into a lifestyle that's about you. Use your freedom to go into a lifestyle that's about us. Become slaves to one another in love. In the church, it is very easy to pursue one through three, discipleship, holiness, and spirituality, but go... I don't need to worry about four. You say, how do you know this? I've been in the church for 29 years. I'm not just mean victory life. I mean, I've been a Christian for 29 years. As long as I'm attending a class, as long as I'm ministering on some team, as long as I, I am engaging in worship, and as long as I'm trying not to do those secret sins that other people do, I'm cool. I'm set. Everything's good. What about love? Use your freedom not as a mode or, a, or an excuse for self-indulgence. Use your freedom in a way that would make you a slave to everybody else. He says the whole law is summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole purpose of, of what God has written on our hearts, that we transgress, that law that he's, he's put inside of us is to love others in spite of our sin and our selfishness or to, or to push that to the back burner and push our love to others to the front burner. 
there is a very easy way, very easy way, to exist as a Christian, but not pursue this. We, in fact, can exist as a Christian, at least we think we can, and pursue discipleship, holiness, and spirituality, but we do that in a very, very selfish, self-centered way. We begin to say things to ourselves like, well, I do this for the church. I, I'm on this committee, and I helped with this outreach, and I was involved in this thing, so I'm good with God on that front. And I, I do this. I, I read my Bible on a regular basis, and I pray to the Lord on a regular basis, and, 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 and I enter worship services, and I worship and you know what, I'll tell you what, I love getting there on Sunday mornings because I, I love to worship. And, and I serve uh, uh, the community in this way. And I'm fulfilling things in Scripture because I had it revealed to me uh, while I was praying this week or, and while I was studying this week. And, and, and in essence, what I'm trying to say is I am fulfilling the law of God. very easy for us to do the exact same thing that Paul was warning the Galatians about, that Jesus and John the Baptist were warning the Pharisees about. That we just make it a bunch of laws and rules and regulations. If I serve and if I give and my tithe and if I, if I do these eight things, I'm good with God. But what about love? What we do as Christians most often is we come to the other side of grace and internally we create a new law that says if I do these things, I'm justified before God. And Paul is saying to us this morning, the entire law is summed up in this. Love one another as yourself. I mean, that echoes the words of Jesus when he says what? By this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We can be very self-focused in our Christian pursuits. And they're all good things. But without love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, we are a clanging symbol. It's just an annoying waste without love. What is on the other side of grace? What does our freedom lead us to necessarily? Love for one another. You cannot exist as a Christian pleasing God the way God desires to be pleased if you are not in line with his heart. God is not about the letter of the law so much as he is about love for all. I mean, that's the New Testament, isn't it? That's the New Testament. Yes, we're supposed to pursue discipleship and holiness and spirituality, but we are to love one another first. That's the mark of a Christian. Our love. Paul, in the middle of this beautiful theological treatise, then gives us just this line that I love in here. Verse 15. Yeah, I mean, it, he's in the middle of, of this high theology, and all of a sudden he just makes it real. If you, however, bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. I'm going to give that a 2013 paraphrase. If you treat church like middle school, watch out. 
That's my paraphrase. If you, anybody here enjoy middle school? Don't raise your hand if you did, because there, there'll be none, not true, Sam. There'll be none of you. Nobody enjoyed middle school. Middle school was about what? Biting and devouring everybody else, right? Nobody liked middle school. Why? Because you begin to function in a way that you are not yet ready to function emotionally, physically. All these things are going on. And and in essence, middle schoolers are just bad to one another. And I tell you what, we in the church can get into the biting and devouring business real quick. Because we see these people all the time. And instead of loving one another and giving to one another the way that we're supposed to, forgiving one another the way that we're supposed to, we just forget about that. And we pursue our own individualistic Christianity, fulfilling the law that we've created for ourselves. But it does not matter about the person sitting next to me. It just doesn't. And Paul says we're supposed to use our freedom to love the person next to you. I've seen so much over the course of the years in the church that is love. And I've seen so much over the course of the years in the church that is not love. And I want to tell us this morning that on the other side of grace, according to Galatians, is love. You can, pers- you can come to all the Wednesday night classes and small groups you want to. You can serve on all the committees and outreaches that you want to. You can enjoy all the spiritual experiences of a service that you want to. But if you do not love the person sitting next to you, you've missed the entire concept. The whole thing. So much so... Just go read the book of 1 John when you leave here today, and he just puts it flatly. Don't say you're a Christian unless you love the other people around you, because you're not. Woo! Now, what are you talking about? Are you getting into deep theology? Once saved, always saved? All No, I'm just saying. Don't say that you're a Christian unless you're marked by your love for the people around you. That's Scripture. That's not me. Because by nature, we're children of wrath. But God calls us to freedom. A freedom not used for self-indulgence, but a freedom that loves one another and makes ourselves a slave to the other. I have seen Christians in this place and in other churches that I've attended when I was away at school have the very middle school mentality of, well, you know what, we've got to go to the same church and we'll say hi when we see each other. But that'll be it. Because I know things about that person. I've had a little couple of run-ins with that person. Listen, I've had some run-ins with some of you. But we try to make them right, don't we? Because we love one another. I know I've annoyed some of you. Some of you have certainly annoyed me. But we're called to love one another, are we not? I tell you what. We're called to love one another, not hi, good to see you. (laughs) You know you've done it. You probably did it this morning. We're called to love one another. Go make it right, you middle schooler. What is it, the seventh grade all over again? You're 52. 
What are you still living in the seventh grade for? You're 36. What are you still living in the seventh grade for? Go make it right. Go make it right. You ever notice when the new kid came to middle school, everybody just sort of looked and stared, but no one went and talked to the new kid? Oh, they're from Colorado. People are weird in Colorado. Oh, they're sitting alone at lunch. What a loser. It's their first day they haven't made any friends yet. I knew it. This place should be a place of love. Sometimes we treat it like middle school. Who is that? They're not, they don't look like they're part of my crowd. I don't know them. What, you know what I'll do? I'll get somebody else to go talk to them and then find out who they are. Some of you, if this is your, if this is your home church, you're a terrible host and hostess in your own home. Terrible ho- host and hostess in your own home. You're the type of person that somebody walks in your home and like, can I get you a, a, a glass of water? I'm leaving. Welcome to our home. Where is the love? Well, I was too busy that Sunday. Worship was about to begin. Or, or I was too busy that Sunday. I was teaching a Sunday school class. Or I was too busy that Sunday. Uh, all types of excuses not to love. And this one especially for this body. And forgive me if this steps on your toes. But how about giving the people around here some of your time and some of your faithfulness? How, how about... How about giving some people around here some of your time and some of your faithfulness? You know what I mean by those concepts. To say, yeah, I'll take the time. And yeah, when I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. How many of you, and don't raise your hands, have that story of, yeah, my dad said he'd be at my baseball game, but he wasn't. My dad said he'd be there, but he wasn't. Or my dad couldn't have cared less. He didn't show. We can do that same thing to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to get that ministry started. I'm so excited about that. I will be there for you. Week one. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been the one to start the ministry. You've been the one. I will be there for you, brother. I cannot wait to get that started. The Lord's going to bless it. You know what? A friend called. I haven't seen them forever. We decided to get dinner, and sorry. Where is faithfulness among us? You know what marks a family? Faithfulness to one another. That's love. You can be annoyed as you want with somebody, but if you're faithful to one another, it can work. We're not, okay, let me just go there. We're not faithful to one another the way we should be in this body. We are not. I'm not saying you can never miss a meeting or never miss a Sunday. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say about being faithful to the one around you. That if you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there. That if you say you're going to give them some of your time, you give them some of your time. That you show your love in practical ways. How do you show your love in practical ways? Just, Just go buy that five love languages book. It'll work. You say, isn't that for married couples? Think about the five concepts in that book for just a minute. Quality time. Yeah, yeah, I go to church. I I walk in. I I walk in five minutes late. I leave five minutes before the end of the service. I spend quality time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not quality time. Man, try that with your wife. 
Yeah, I got home and we turned on the TV. And uh, we sat there in front of the TV. I asked her how her day was. She said, fine. And uh, at the end of the night, uh, we turned the TV off, went to bed. It was some real quality time. That's not quality time. Quality time is the leisure by which you get to know people. Get to know somebody. How about words of affirmation? I've heard that already this morning in this building. Just, pe- just speaking life into somebody's life. That's a way to show love. Gift giving. We're great at this at Victory Life. I'm not even going to harp on this. You people are generous. The, Pastor Cedar doesn't even know what you're going to do next week to that youth ministry when you go to their, uh, their tailgate party. Gift giving. Acts of service. Acts of service. The other day, I, I had the fortune of, or Gina found some couches for our front room. Our, we had one of those front rooms. You know those rooms that you move into a house and you go, we will furnish this someday. And we had had a little money saved up, and, and, and Gina, Gina said, can we get some couches? I said, if you find the right couches on Craigslist, I will go. I will pick them up. We'll get it done. Well, she found some great couches. Of course, I had nothing to transport the couches in, so I went and looked at the couches, and, I, and the guy was moving the very next day. He says, i got to get rid of these. And, and I said, oh. Okay, I'm, I'm in, I will come back and get these in 15 minutes. And I thought, that was a lie. I have no idea what I'm going to do in 15 minutes. And so I start racking my brain. Who in the church has a truck? Who in the church has a truck? Who in the church has a truck? And who's close? Who's close? i got people in the church from, you know, Worcester who have a truck. But who has a truck that's close? And I thought of a brother in Christ who has, has a truck. And, and so I called him. I says, hey, so-and-so. I said, uh, what are you doing tonight? He said, so I'm just sitting here, just hanging out. And I said, I was wondering if I could borrow your truck for an hour. He said, what? And I thought, oh, no. He's not going to let me borrow his truck. He loves his truck. This is a good truck. He's not going to let me borrow his truck. He says, what do you mean borrow? I, I said, well, I, I found a few couches. I, I, I need to transport them over to my house. We're going to try to pick them up tonight. You know what that brother said to me? He says, all right, I'm getting my shoes on. I'll be right over. And took his night and... Helped me load my couches into the truck. Back to the house. We went back. Back. I mean, just, yeah, I'll do it. And so after it's all over, uh, Gina goes up to this guy. And she goes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he goes, what do you mean? We're Christians. What do you mean, thank you? We're Christians. We're brothers and sisters. Can I tell you, if, if I would have been the one with the truck... Yeah, you can come pick it up. Make sure you gas it up before you get, get bring it back, right? Well, I hope I wouldn't have reacted that way. What would you have done if it had been your truck? I mean, that's a practical way of just showing love. Yeah, I got the time. I got the energy. Let's make it happen. We're Christians, aren't we? I'm not asking you to, you know hire a plane to get a word of affirmation banner to be flown across when somebody walks in the parking lot. Practical, loving ways in which we take care of one another in the way that we can. In the way that we can. Now, everybody in the congregation's with a truck today. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> They're calling me. No, I'm not saying that. Don't take advantage. What I mean is what you have to give, you give. That's love. That's love. What's on the other side of grace? It's love. 
You know, the world can mock our discipleship as a waste of time. In fact, I have a friend who I've been trying to share Christ with for the past two years who, when I tell them about things we do in the church and for the church, just says, sounds like a big waste of time to me. And I want to punch him every time he says that. But he says it. Sounds like a big waste of time. Okay. Okay, you think it's a waste of time. People can mock our pursuit of holiness. What do they say? You're holier than thou. Stinking Christian, you think you're all holy. People can mock our spirituality. You're weird. You do that? What happened in your church? That is weird. How do they mock our love for one another? How do they mock it? Only the lack of, right? That's the only thing they can mock. They can't mock love for one another. They can only go, what, what, what's going on there? They're different. What's going on there? That's what I want to be about. So I ask you, what are you marked by? Is your walk in Christianity about love for others? Or are you pursuing a very selfish walk of, well, I go to my class, I go to my small group, I do the things that I have created in my mind to be the law of God. But love is far, 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 far away from me. What is your walk marked by? What is your walk marked by? Some of you right now in this moment are thinking, well, well, nobody's loved me since I got here this morning. I know how you think. Who have you loved? Who have you loved? Some of you, and, and I also know how you think, are going, well, Pastor Matt, I can think of multiple times that you didn't love me. Guilty as charged. I'm sure there are moments where, where you were in need and I was not right there the way you needed me. No excuses for that. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'm the one going, got to get to the service, got to get to the service. It happens, right? It's not about looking at others and going, they have not loved me the way I desire to be loved. It's about looking at ourselves and saying, God, am I loving the way you have called me to love? Because guess what? People will always fail your expectations. Always. That way, and think that way, because that way when they exceed them, you go, yeah, cool. But God's calling for you doesn't change. You are called to love. If you're his, that's what you're called to. So I ask you today, what do you have to do to follow the command of Scripture? What's, what's the aspect of those five love languages that you have been failing miserably in? What is God calling you to? Because it's not fluff. It's right that on the other side of grace is love. It's not fluff. It's sound doctrine. On the other side of grace is love. Let's pray.
in this moment, I do not have a specific prayer to pray over you. I would ask you to say to the Holy Spirit in this moment, Holy Spirit, show me who, how, and where I need to or have been failing to love the way you've called. When it's clear to you, stand to your feet. Lord Jesus, I am reminded this morning that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we're not about pounding on ourselves today for all the times that we've failed. What we are about today, Lord, is looking at you and saying, by your grace, I'm going to walk in love. Thank you for your grace, Lord Jesus, first and foremost this morning, that we are free from the guilt from yesterday. We are free from the sin of the past. We're free from all of that. Lord, today we want to walk in your love. Lord, you have showed us specifically, or maybe in a general sense, what you would have us to do. Now, Jesus, would you make it real to us in this moment? Lord, would you confirm it in our hearts? Would you make it so strong in our spirit that we cannot leave this place unless we do what you have called us to do? And Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, we would live in freedom and love one another with all that we have and all that we are. By this, all men will know that we are yours. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.